There was uh, a uh, lady in Ohio who was in deep distress. I read this uh, recently as she was in deep distress, severe distress. I mean, freaking out distress. So much so that she picked up her cell phone and she called 911. Now, you know what 911 is, right? The emergency services, that's uh, fire truck, police, ambulance kind of thing. She called 911. This is a true story. You can Google it. She, she dialed 911 because she was in severe distress. The dispatcher came on, 911, uh, and the lady says, I need help. I need the police to come to the Kentucky Fried Chicken here immediately. And she, that, this is not a joke, this is a true story. And the dispatcher said, yes, ma'am, what's the nature of the, uh, of the distress? And, and she said, I ordered eight pieces of chicken and they only gave me four. Well, she thought it was a joke. The dispatcher thought it was a joke. She said, well, ma'am, I, I think that's a civil matter. I don't think that's for the police. But it, she wasn't joking. The lady was incensed. She said, I need the police to come here now because I ordered eight pieces. And I only got four, and I want my chicken. And they sent the police. And sure enough, the only emergency was this sweet lady was distressed because she ordered eight and only got four. And eventually the policeman who said, ma'am, th this is not an emergency. And this lady said, oh yes, this is an emergency. And so the, the police officer went up to the counter and bought her four more pieces of chicken, handed it to her and said, there you go. But you know, we live in a time and a culture where not getting all the chicken that you ordered can be a 911 emergency. People's, people's lives are so frayed at the ends that they freak out over silly things, crazy things. And by the way, for that sweet lady, her need was something different than chicken. This was how she was expressing the hurt in her heart. You know, that's how hurt people do. That people who have um, an emptiness in their life that they can't seem to satisfy. They eventually get crazy in their behavior, crazy in their relationships, crazy in how they uh, talk to people or behave, or they start dialing 911 for chicken. It's, it, it may not seem like an emergency, but, but when you are at the end of your rope, when your bucket literally is not full, it becomes an emergency. Those are the people that, that you encounter every day. They're, those are the people in this room right now. That's all of us at some season in our life, and maybe that season is right now. And we have an emptiness, and it's just not being filled. Good news, though. I mean, I, I really do have good news, and it's good news that, that has not just the hint of hope, but actually it rings with the lyrics of hope that becomes the song of our soul. It is a wonderful good news that yes, yes, there's an emptiness in my life, but Jesus has come to fix that emptiness and fill us up. See, now look, I, I, know, I know that for many of us, 
That seems like an incomplete answer. The, the answer doesn't seem to fit the need. But that's because maybe you just haven't gotten the, got, maybe you just don't know Jesus. And I don't say that condemningly. I'm just saying maybe you need to look at it because truly, and I mean truly, Jesus himself has promised to fill our lives to overflowing. He says the thief, the devil, has come to steal, kill, and destroy. He said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. And I know that there are seasons and moments in my life as a follower of Jesus. As one who has met Jesus, one who is connected to him, I know that there have been and will be seasons in my life where I get my focus off Jesus and I start getting sideways on my purpose in life or the meaning of my life or what I'm supposed to be about in life. And in those seasons as a follower of Christ, when I get sideways um, then, then I can feel that emptiness, and that emptiness can be overwhelming so much so that I call 911 because I didn't get all my chicken. I know that can be true, and, and I also know that there are people who have an emptiness in their soul uh, who are dealing and struggling with depression and, and, and clinical depression and real depression. That's not a made-up thing. And, and, and if that's you, I encourage you. Jesus, yes, he's sufficient, but also there are some people who have been trained. They're called counselors and therapists. Man, they can help you navigate some of the deep, dark pits of your emotional distress. So, I'm not preaching to the exceptions. I'm preaching to the rule. And the rule is, did y'all get that? That's pretty good, by the way. I'm just, I got to say, that's pretty good. Don't preach the exception, preach the rule. Knowing that there are exceptions. So I'm preaching to the rule today. And the rule is emptiness in our life is equated with distance from God. And Jesus has come to bridge the distance between an empty life and the family of God. So Jesus has come to fix the emptiness in us. Now, we're going to encounter a guy named Zacchaeus. That's Luke chapter 19. And, and, and we're going to hear how Jesus connects with Zacchaeus in a way that leads to an empty life being made whole. Now, Zacchaeus, and we're going to read about him in a second, but if I can give you a snapshot, Zacchaeus was a tax collector and he was a rich man. That meant two things. First of all, it meant as a tax collector, a Jewish man who is a tax collector, uh, that meant he was a traitor to his own people. It, it's like um, in World War II in occupied France, if you were a Frenchman who was working for the Germans, you were a traitor, right? Well, that's the same concept, a tax collector in, in Judea working for the Roman government was a traitor. So he was automatically ostracized. He didn't have... Um, relationship with the people of God because they didn't have relationship with him. But he wasn't just a tax collector, he was rich. Now, what that meant was that he was uh, dishonestly skimming off the top and taking a percentage of the collection, the levies that he had uh, that the Roman government had said, all right, you take levies, uh, taxes for these certain things, the commerce or uh, the trade, you take taxes for that. Uh, and Zacchaeus was taking what the Roman government said to take, and he was taking on top of that. So he was getting his grift on top of that. So he was a dishonest man, he was a rogue, um, and 
That's how he was scratching the itch of his soul. Now, you think about it. What would make a man who was raised in a Jewish family, and he was, raised in a, in a, in a heritage who, uh, of, of faithfulness to God, uh, at least talk about that, highly religious, highly rules-oriented, and what would cause him, raised in that way, to leave all that and become a traitor to his own people and a dishonest man to boot? What would cause that? Well, he was trying to scratch the itch of his soul. He had an emptiness in his life, and he was trying to scratch that itch. And what we hear in this story is that Jesus has come to fix that. Now, Luke 19.10, this is the end of the, of the section we're going to look at. Luke 19.10, Jesus said, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Picture of the lost, that's Zacchaeus. But it was also the religious people. You know, it's not just uh, the, uh, the really, 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 really bad people that have an emptiness of life. It's also the really, 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 really good people that have an empty life. We'll talk about that some more. Y'all may not have believed that. We'll, we'll try to get there, all right? So, the very first thing I want us to see uh, as, as we embark upon this idea that, that, that Jesus is the one who fixes an empty life. First thing is people are searching for a rescue from their empty life. Everybody. Everybody in this room has searched for rescue from an empty life. Everybody. Everybody in this room. Now, what causes the emptiness is our sin. Our sin separates us from God. Because we don't have a relationship with God, we are empty. You and I, every person in this room was created by God to have a relationship with Him. And if we can't have a relationship with God, then there's an emptiness in our soul. And no matter what we try to do to fill that emptiness, it won't work. And, and uh, I mean, that's really, really bad people, but it's also really, really good people. See, really, really good people still have sin. And that sin still separates them from God. And that separation from God still creates an emptiness in our life. And that emptiness is exactly what Zacchaeus had, as well as the religious leaders. Look, look at how, how uh, Luke described it. Luke chapter 19, beginning of verse 1. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but couldn't because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree <clears throat> to see Jesus, for Jesus was going to pass that way. <clears throat> uh, Zacchaeus was on a search. He was on a search to see Jesus because all the other things that he had been trying to fill in his soul to satisfy it was leaving him empty. Now, here's what Zacchaeus was filling in his soul. He was filling in his soul with possessions and, 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 and prosperity and power. Uh, he had riches and wealth. Uh, he had uh, all kinds of fun uh, with uh, all the uh, sideline outcast kind of people. And, and so, man, he was, he was trying to satisfy the emptiness of his soul with all those things. The religious people in the crowd, they were empty just as well. Even though they had all these different rules that they were following, even though they had all the religious stuff that they were pursuing, they were still separated from God by their sin. Their sin was just different than Zacchaeus's sin. As I was driving yesterday, I was thinking about food poisoning. 
Don't know why. Maybe it was reading about chicken. I was thinking about food poisoning, and, and I thought to myself, self, how, how do you get food poisoning? Is it just one thing that causes food poisoning, or is there several different things that cause food poisoning? So I did a little research, and, and, and I discovered that, um, you know, it's, it's a parasite, or it's a toxin, a virus, or a bacteria that can cause food poisoning. And, and those different things can hit uh, different types of food or water and cause all kinds of damage. Now, the result of each one of these uh, uh, parasites or bacteria, I think all I have are bacteria, but I don't, I don't know that. But they have different names. Now, I wanted to read some of the names to you, okay? This is just a few, okay? Uh, start with the one that you probably know, salmonella, all right? So, so that causes food poisoning. It's got a name. Uh, rotavirus causes food poisoning. It's got a name. Shigella causes food poisoning. Giardia lamblia. E. coli. The E and the E. coli is a big long word that I don't want to try to pronounce, but E. coli. Clostridium perfringis. Clostridium botulinum. And then this one, Campylobacter. That's probably not how you say it, but and there are more. I mean, those are just a few of the things. Now, it doesn't matter which one of these you connect with. Whichever one it is, if it's E. coli or salmonella, you're going to get food poisoning. Tainted meat, no matter the cause of the taint, is still going to make you sick. If you're religious or you're not religious, if you've been attending here for 25 years or this is your first Sunday and you don't know a thing about God, if you can answer all the Sunday school questions or none of the Sunday school questions, the sin that you have, no matter what name it is, is what separates you from God and causes an emptiness of life and a sickness in your soul. So what happens is religious people who are trying to fill their, their lives with all these religious things and look real respectable. A lot of you here, a lot of you here look very respectable. But that respectability doesn't connect you with God. Doing enough right stuff, following enough religious rules, that doesn't get you to God any more than Zacchaeus pursuing all the possessions and pleasure. There was not one Pharisee that was better than Zacchaeus when it comes to God's scale. Zacchaeus had E. coli. Pharisees had salmonella. The people with salmonella said, he's really bad because he's got E. coli. Isn't that how we do it? Because we sit in, in a certain spot on a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening, we think, hey, I've got it together. I'm okay. But that's just not true. No matter what the name of our sin may be, it is that sin, respectable or unrespectable, it is that sin that separates us from God and leads us to an empty life. Zacchaeus 
understood. Just like in John chapter 3, a religious leader understood there was an empty in, emptiness in his life. In John 3, there was a guy named Nicodemus who, who, who was a teacher of the law. But as much of the rules as he followed, as much as the stuff of, of, of Judaism that he understood and could teach, he understood that there was a disconnect between him and God. There was an emptiness in his life. And so he came to Jesus in John chapter 3, where we get that famous verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For the son did not come to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. So here's the deal. Whatever your background, whatever your situation, religious, non-religious, good, 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 good person, or a bad, 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 bad person, no matter the virus or the bacteria or the toxin of your sin, tainted meat still leads to a sin-sick soul and to a deathly existence, an empty life. So here this morning, I'm here to tell you, don't count on following rules or being a traditional Baptist-type person. Don't count on that getting you satisfaction or contentment in life. It won't do it. I've tried it. The search for rescue from an empty life, there's only one way to be rescued. And that's what we're going to hear. You see, people are searching for rescue from an empty life. Good news. Jesus rescues from an empty life. That's Jesus' mission. God sent Jesus to rescue us from an empty life. What sin had created in us, Jesus came to set right. Do you really believe that? I mean, do, do you really believe that Jesus can fix an empty life? I, I wonder sometimes. I wonder sometimes because we um, fail to tell the people that are the emptiest around us that Jesus can rescue them from that emptiness. They might not say, well, I, I feel I, only like a couple of times in my conversations with people, has, has anyone said, I, I feel empty and I just don't belong, when talking about what's going on in themselves? Most of the time, they couch it or cover it, the emptiness of their life, couch it or cover it with lots of fun and lots of laughter or lots of business or lots of success or a lot of religion. And they cover it up, but it comes out sometimes. You see it. They start calling 911 because I didn't get a bucket full of chicken. It starts coming out. An empty life. And Jesus came to fix it. And, and we should, if we really believe that, if we really believe it, wouldn't we want to tell our brother or our sister or our daughter or our father or our mother or our coworker or our classmate or our neighbor, wouldn't we want to tell them? Dude, I know you're empty, but I've got good news. God sent Jesus on a mission to rescue us from an empty life. We we have to to share that, don't we? Let's let's look at the rest of the story, beginning in verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he saw Zacchaeus and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down, for today I must stay at your house. 
And so Zacchaeus made haste and came down and received Jesus joyfully. But when they, that, that, that's all the religious folk, when they saw it, they all complained, saying, he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. <laughs> Got a little cheese with that wine. Uh, he, he, they, can you hear them complaining? I, I certainly can. I can hear them complaining. I, I've heard those complaining. I, I can't believe him went to, went to go hang out with a sinner. What a bad, bad guy. What kind of teacher can do that? We would, we're not going to trust him. I can't believe him. So they complained. I made too much of that. Then I'll, I won't return to that verse, by the way. That's as much as I'm going to say about it. Verse 8, then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, look, Lord. And by the way, there is some distance of time between verse 7 and verse 8. So these folks are complaining while Jesus is in the house with Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus and Jesus, they're talking. And Jesus uh, talks with Zacchaeus in such a way that in verse 8, Zacchaeus is changed. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, look, Lord, I give half my goods to the poor, and if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. Let's stop there for a second. So here's what he says. He says, I have been trying to stuff money into my life because I thought that would fill the emptiness of my soul. It has not worked, but I have just spent... 30 minutes to an hour with you, Jesus, and so my whole life is changed. You have changed my life. I'm giving all that money back. I don't need it anymore. You're the one who satisfied me. And so Jesus responded, verse 9, today salvation, rescue, has come to this house because Zacchaeus also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. Now, a couple of things that I want to say before, before I get into some application. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. These are this days before Jesus arrested uh, and killed on a cross. He was singularly focused on his mission. I mean, it was a singular mission, and he was singularly focused on it. His mission was to take those people like Zacchaeus, encounter them, and build a bridge between them and God so that by God's grace, those who are far from God might find life through faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus was on a mission, and that mission was simple, to seek and to save that which is lost. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 1 that Jesus is the head of the church. You know what that means? It means we're his body, he's the head. And as he is focused, so must we be focused. And if the mission of Jesus, if the focus of Jesus is to seek and to save that which is lost, why in the world are we, the church, his body, sideways on that mission? How is it that we can become so consumed with things that don't have anything to do with seeking and saving the lost? Jesus didn't come to make sure that we had a cook in the kitchen. Jesus didn't come to make sure that the color of the carpet was red. Jesus didn't come to make sure that the, the, uh, 
the preacher didn't preach too loud or too long. Jesus came for one reason, and that is to glorify God by winning people who are far from God and bringing them into God's family. And we, his church, must have that same focus. And if we get sideways off that focus, if our focus is not the fulfillment of this mission that he has sent us to continue, then we become unhealthy. A sideways focus that's off this singular mission leads to an unhealthy church, a diseased body. And that's why so many churches limp along. And that's why we've limped along at different times is because we get sideways. I get sideways from this singular mission that Jesus has given. He's given us this mission, by the way. Church, look, The church is his body, and the body exists to fulfill his mission. John chapter uh, 20, Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I send you. This is our mission. The end of Matthew's gospel. As you go, make disciples of all peoples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I've taught you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Here we have it. Seek and save the lost, those who are far from God. So friends, listen, if we're going to be a healthy body of believers, and we want to be, then each one of us are going to have to take hold this singular mission that Jesus had. And by the way, can I just tell you, when I get my eyes off this singular mission, personally as a follower of Jesus, when I get sideways and not in sync with Jesus who is the head, that's when I feel the taste of emptiness in my life. Because I'm not singularly focused. And, and look, one of the reasons why we have church members that are so bitter is because they haven't recognized that Jesus is better and they are not following after him and walking the path that he has blazed. And the path that he has blazed is to seek and to save that which is lost. It's easy for us to get and have an intellectual discussion about different um, uh, uh, theological ideas. But you know what Jesus wants? He wants us to just do what he did. So right now, you just think about those people in your life. Think about the folks in your life that are far from God. You've written them down on cards last week. The cards are at the end of the pews. You can pick those up and write down some more names. But these are the folks that that God has put in your life that are far from him. See, Jesus was walking along. He had, man, just, just think about this. He's walking down the streets of Jericho, surrounded by crowds of people. He comes underneath a sycamore tree, and he stops dead in his track. Not because Zacchaeus said anything. But because God initiated an intersection between Jesus and Zacchaeus. Jesus was not from Jericho. Jesus didn't hang out in Jericho. He he wasn't a frequenter of Jericho, and Zacchaeus was not that famous. Nor was there a poster with Zacchaeus' picture placard on the synagogue wall. Jesus didn't know Zacchaeus through earthly eyes, but because he is God in flesh, he knew the name of the guy sitting in the tree. And he stopped, and he looked up, 
And he called this man he never met by name, Zacchaeus. So particular was that divine move that Jesus would call him out by name. Jesus understood who he was. He understood what he was doing. He understood the nature of his heart. You know what Jesus saw? A man who was empty, doing crazy things to try to satisfy his soul when all he needed was this good news that God had sent a rescuer his way. So Jesus stopped, said, let's spend some time together. And in that moment that Jesus spent time with Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus heard hope that became the song of his soul, a hope that could be found not through the rules that he would keep, not through the money that he would acquire, but hope that came through a Savior who would die for his sin upon a cross and be raised from the dead to give new life. And Zacchaeus stretched out his heart and received the rescuer. Zacchaeus knew that Jesus was the fix that he was looking for. Jesus was the answer to his life's quest. Do you believe that? That Jesus is the fix for an empty soul. That Jesus is the answer to every person's quest in life. I know this sounds simple. I I know it does. I know it does. But this is absolute truth. That Jesus himself satisfies the soul. And where Zacchaeus had an emptiness and was longing for something to satisfy, and he was pouring money into his life, and all of a sudden he meets Jesus, and he didn't need a bucket of chicken anymore. He had the bread of life. Y'all can keep your chicken. I've got the one that will satisfy me. Do you believe this? See, that's the first step, being satisfied. So, right now, and and we're getting ready to bring some application, but right now, if you are here today, and maybe you're a rule follower, or maybe you're a Zacchaeus, but you're looking for some solution to the emptiness of your life, and you have searched, and you have struggled, and you've tried to keep rules or break rules, either one. But whatever you've done, whatever the nature of your sin, whether it's salmonella or uh, rotavirus, Whatever it is, the only fix for sin is not keeping rules or breaking rules. The only fix for sin is Jesus. His death on the cross for your sin, His resurrection from the dead to give you a new life and a new heart, to fill your soul with satisfaction because He fills your life with God's presence. The deepest need every human being here and abroad and universal The greatest need we have is to know God, to be part of God's family. And the only way we can know God and be part of God's family is by believing in Jesus. That's it. That's all. No plan B. And it doesn't matter how many sermons you've listened to. If you haven't trusted Jesus as your Savior and King, you do not know God. 
You might know about him like the demons know about God, but you don't know him. You're not part of his family. Do you hear in verse 9, Jesus said, today, good conversations have come to this house. Oh, today, oh, Zacchaeus is beginning to believe more faithfully like a Jewish person and going to be more uh, uh, diligent to keep the Sabbath rules. All right. Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. For Zacchaeus is a son of Abraham. That means Zacchaeus is part of God's family. Zacchaeus had put his trust in Jesus and his life was transformed so much so that he's given back all this money and turning away from that sin in order to take hold of Jesus who forgave his sin. Guys, if you haven't been transformed by God's grace, then I invite you today to choose Christ. Choose Christ Embrace him as Savior and King. Choose Christ. Be saved. Be transformed. Be satisfied. Because only Jesus can do that. If you are part of this family of faith and part of God's family, if you're a follower of Jesus, then, then how, do you, how do we take this passage and move forward with it? Well, the first thing I want us to do is just celebrate God's grace has rescued us. I mean, do you do that? Do you remember the day that you came into a relationship with God through faith in Christ? Do you remember the wrangling of your soul that was just uh, wrapping you up in knots and continuing uh, causing you distress? And, and then you heard this wonderful news that God sent Jesus to die for your sin, to bring forgiveness to your life through his death on the cross, and that, that Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave, was raised from the dead. And, and, and you saw that, and you said, Jesus is what I need. And so, with all that you knew to do, with all that you had to give, you said, Jesus, you are my rescuer. Jesus, you're my only hope. Jesus, you're my king. And I submit my life to you. I've asked Jesus to come into my life and forgive my sin. And I commit to follow him all the days of my life. Do you remember when that happened? Do you remember when the weight of guilt was lifted off your soul? Do you remember when the disease of your sin was forgiven? Do you remember how that grace of a living God swallowed you up and gave you a a bubbling vivacity of joy? Good gracious, do you remember? Well, we ought to remember that every day. Every day that we wake up, we need to celebrate this grace that God has given us. Not not that we earn. You don't earn it. You receive it. This grace that has saved you, brought you into God's family, we need to celebrate that. We, we need to take 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 minutes or an hour every day, every morning, and celebrate, oh God, I was a sinner separated from you. I was a wretch deserving nothing but judgment in hell. I was an, a, a, a diseased soul, empty life, and, and yet God, you saved me. You rescued me. You gave me life. You gave me forgiveness. You gave me hope. You gave me joy. Oh, I'm celebrating the good news, how it's changed me. Take your 20, 30, 40 minutes every day, and that'll do good for you. Every day, that'll do good for you, so it'll do a lot better than Fox News or CNN. 
Like my daddy would say, dad, dad would call the TV the boob tube. He, he said, turn off the boob tube. Some of us need to turn off the boob tube and start celebrating the good news that has rescued us from sins. Have you ever had food poisoning? You you know how bad it is. Do you remember when you start feeling human again? What, what, oh my goodness, I'm feeling alive. I, I feel okay now. When your soul is sick with sin, and then you're forgiven that sin through faith in Jesus Christ, oh my goodness, the life and the vitality that seeps out of your being. Whoo, I was dead but now I'm alive. We've got to celebrate that. Celebrate it. Not only do we celebrate God's grace that saved us, but we also need to see our daily encounters as God's initiative. The, the one lesson that, that if we take with us, it's this, that, that God initiates encounters with people that are far from Him so that we might help that person far from God Find life through faith in Christ. This is the person that you uh, play golf with. Or th- this is the person that you, um, that you play poker with because you're, you know, you're not really a Baptist if you're playing poker. I'm just saying. I'm just kidding. I'm playing. I'm playing. As long as you're not playing for money. Or tithing 20% on your earnings. That's all I'm saying. Be a real Baptist. Tie double on ill-gotten gain. That's what I'm saying. No, the people you go shopping with, the people that you go on your day trips with or go to the spa with, those people that are calling 911 because they didn't get a full bucket of chicken, their soul is broke and they need to be made whole, and the only way they're going to be made whole is if they meet Jesus, and God puts you in their path to introduce them to Jesus. And every encounter that we have, could it be one of those divine encounters that God has initiated to help someone who is far from God find life in Christ? And are we even looking at our day through that lens? If we wake up in the morning, we're celebrating God's grace that has saved us. We're leaning into that. We're focusing on it. Then then God begins to awaken us, and we can say, oh, God, today, help for me not to pass up any encounter that you've given where I can talk to someone about Jesus. Oh, God, help for me not to not see those encounters. And once I see the encounters, help for me to have the courage to talk to somebody about Jesus. Or, goodness gracious, take a handful of those Easter cards and just start inviting people. I mean, let's just do something. This is the mission, right? If it's the mission of our head, our king, our master, to seek and save that which is lost, that's got to be our mission as well. So how are you going to engage in that mission? If we see every encounter before us as something that God has initiated and we step into that that God-sized moment, then God will use that to lead a person who is far from God closer to being part of God's family. So we got to see encounters as God's initiative. And maybe even more important than that, be a friend 
to others the way Jesus was. Here's what I mean by that. Jesus valued Zacchaeus more than he cared about the criticism of the crowd. Jesus cared more about the mission upon which God had sent him to seek and say that it was lost, and cared more about the person who was part of that mission, Zacchaeus, than he cared whether all the city of Jericho rose up in, in complaint against him. And by the way, just a few days later, all of Jerusalem would cry out, crucify him. Jesus was more concerned about the person, Zacchaeus, more concerned about God's glory and fulfilling the mission. And so he did the uncomfortable thing for a bunch of religious people. He went and hung out with a great sinner, a really bad, 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 bad person. And he was kind, and he told the truth, but he told the truth in such a way that Zacchaeus heard it and said, man, that's what I need. Amen. Be a friend. And in being a friend, be kind. Be a friend. You know what that means sometimes? It means I, I had an a evangelism professor named Dr. Roy Fish in, in seminary, and, and uh, Dr. Fish uh, would always teach in this way. He would say, sometimes you have to go sit in the smoking section. Now, if you're a younger person, you don't know what the smoking section is. Back when we were raised, you had a smoking section in the airplane. You had a sm- and now you can't get on an airplane without a mask, but then you could smoke to your heart's content. Uh, you, they had smoking sections in restaurants. They had smoking sections uh, at, at the mall. You know, they had smoking sections everywhere. Um, and, and so Dr. Fish said, sometimes you've got to go sit in the smoking section if you're going to fulfill the mission. And be a friend to people that are looking for God. Not because smokers are looking for God, but that was his way. Here's the thing. You have people that are far from God. If you don't, you should. If you don't, you should. Because God has sent you as an ambassador of his to help broken people find wholeness through faith in Jesus Christ. And how will they hear unless a preacher comes, and you're the preacher to tell them. We've got to be friends with people who are far from God. And whether you know it or not, you are. You work with them. They're your neighbors. They're in your family. They're sitting next to you in the pew right now. They're far from God. And it's your job and mine to be a friend to them. The way Jesus was a friend to Zacchaeus. Be kind. Tell the truth. Here's the truth. The truth is, no matter what you name your sin, that sin separates you from God. Whether it's a really good sin or a really bad sin. Doesn't matter. Whether it's E. coli or uh, Shigullah. Whatever the name of your sin doesn't matter. That sin separates you from God. It's creating the emptiness in your life, and the only fix for that is faith in Jesus Christ. There's no other plan B. There's no other way to be rescued. It's only Jesus. But we've got to be friends with people to tell them that. But we don't have to say, 
you're going to hell. <laughs> Somebody laughed about that. But, I mean, kindness should be wrapped around our truth so that can, people can receive it as words of love. But we got to tell the truth. So, this is all I would say. If First Norfolk is going to be in sync with our head, our King, our Savior, our Lord, Jesus Christ, if First Norfolk is going to be in sync, then we need to make a commitment to celebrate the grace that God's given us to save us, to, to see every encounter that we have during every day as an opportunity that God has given us to fulfill the mission and be friends with people who are just like Zacchaeus, man, they're searching. Did you notice how Zacchaeus was excited about receiving Jesus? It says, verse 6, it says, says, and Zacchaeus came down from the tree and received Jesus joyfully, gladly. He was, man, he was excited. You know why? Because the pain of his life was so bad that he was ready to receive the only one who could fix it. Never underestimate the pain in the soul of people who are far from God. Tell them the truth. Introduce them to Jesus and see what can happen. Some of us in this room have been calling 911 because somebody took our joy away or somebody didn't give us a full load in our bucket. We can call a 911 because the distress in our soul is so severe. And today's the day you can meet Jesus and find life. Forgiveness for sin and be brought into God's family. So today, whether you're online or in the room, if you have yet to embrace Jesus, I invite you today, turn from your sin, trust in Jesus. In a moment when we stand to sing, if you're in this room and you want to choose Christ the way Zacchaeus did, come and tell one of our ministers. If you're online or in this room, you can text Jesus to the number on the screen or email pastor at firstnorfolk.org, or you can go to the information desk to the next step station in the grand lobby and just say, I choose Jesus today. Can you help me? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, a member of this church family, I'm going to invite you to join me in an act of consecration and commitment. I invite you to come to the altar and pray. Commit yourself to be who God has called you to be when he saved you. I'm going to invite you to come to the altar and pray for those individuals that God has planted on your heart, the names on the card or the names in your heart, those who are far from God, those that you need to invite, join us uh, Easter weekend to hear about Jesus. Or uh, I'm going to invite you to come to this altar and just pour out your soul. God, help me turn my focus back to this wondrous truth that you have saved me, you have rescued me, and you've unleashed me in my world to be a witness for you. I invite you to come to the altar and lift up our church family. That if any of us are sideways when it comes to the mission, 
that the Spirit of God through the Word of God would pierce our hearts and draw us back in line with Jesus Christ, our King. So, Father, in these moments as we worship you, as we bow our lives before you, as we call out upon you for help, I pray that you would speak to those who are far from you today, those who are not yet part of your family. I pray that you would draw them to yourself. I pray that right now you would um, spark in their hearts by your Spirit the grace and the courage that they need to believe on Jesus. Transform hearts today. And give those individuals that you're, that, that you're drawing to yourself, give them the courage and the faith to, to say, today I choose Christ. I pray for our church family that you would lead us to bend our knee before you in commitment to the very task that you've called us to be about, helping those who are far from you find life in Christ. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.